Hello, everyone. I'm Dalton Burdett. I'm Nick Arikio. And we are the Movie Knights. Well, some of them. You're watching this because you want to hear our uncensored, unfiltered thoughts and opinions on the world of movies and entertainment. So kick back, relax, and thank you for being part of the conversation. Nicholas, how are you? I'm good, sir. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Uh, as everyone can see, my life is in shambles uh, behind me. But uh, no, so before we get um, into the show, a uh, couple things off the top. One, um, we have a good news, bad news situation. The good news is the next episode, we will be back in the studio behind me with the nice equipment, the nice cameras, the nice microphones. It's going to look and sound great. That will happen on the next episode. The bad news is uh, we are going to go on a very brief hiatus for the month of April, and we will be back on the first Tuesday of May with our new episode. Um, I may have bitten off more than I can chew. It might be the second Tuesday of May because I will be um, in Hawaii at the end of April for a wedding I'm going to. And anyone who knows me in my personal life knows it's hilarious how many goddamn weddings I have to go to. But um, I cannot wait to get back in the studio behind me and start recording some more episodes. But we are going to take a bit of a break. Repeating myself now, but you guys get the point. Um, we will miss you guys. Uh, we are going to be finishing up on the channel. We are going to be finishing the Mandalorian reactions in that time. And we may do some straight out of the theater reviews for movies that we see. But in terms of the show, the roundtable... Uh, we'll be taking a very small break, and with that, we're going to move on to the movie news section of our show, where we kind of break into the trades and figure out what's going on in the world of movies. Nicholas, what story do you have for us first? Our first story comes to us from The Hollywood Reporter, Dalton. Uh, the hierarchy of power of the live-action remake of the animated movie universe <laughs> is about to change. Oh, Moana is getting a live action adaptation just few years after it already was released. Yep. Uh, Dwayne Johnson and his team at Seven Bucks Production are behind the picture, uh, as well as an executive producer, Ali Cravalho, who voiced Moana in the original. No word yet on uh, director. My bet is it's going to be... Uh, Juan Sarah, who did Jungle Cruise and Black Adam with The Rock. Or for true fan fans, nonstop, run all night, The Commuter, and The Shallows. <laughs> you say true fans. Listen, I fucking love The Shallows. I unabashedly think that that movie is really good. And every time I watch it, it's better. I have the 4K. The Shallows is a good movie. I'm just, I'm just saying. But, um, and what of The Commuter? Listen, the commuter's not bad. The commuter's not bad. Uh, but I'm saying my favorite Jean Collette Sarah movie is The Shallows, and mm -hmm. it's not even close. But uh, but yes, um, this is news, isn't it? This is uh, news that exists and is happening. And I believe the article goes on to say that The Rock is going to reprise his role as well as the lead Moana actress. Although I could be, maybe I dreamt that, but I'm pretty sure that uh, it does say that. The Rock is back. The only mention of Ali Cravalho is that she is serving as an executive producer. Okay, but uh, they it, have it could probably, be she'll probably be in it at some point. Um, I don't know how to feel about this news. I got I gotta tell you, um, you know, Moana's a good movie. I've only seen it once, but I enjoyed it when I watched it. 
And um, but at the same time, we've been getting tired of the Disney live action remakes from movies that were made 30, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. This is a movie that was what not is was it 10, not even 10? Uh 2016. So yeah, not even 10 years ago. Seven years ago. Yeah, which math. Dude, that was 2016 was seven years ago. But uh, but anyway, um yeah, I don't know how to feel about this. Look, I've always said there's nothing wrong with doing remakes. They can always end up being a better movie. They or even not, they can end up being a good movie. And then you have two good movies to celebrate. My trepidation is just, I'm not gonna lie, it's the rock's involvement, especially with a lot of behind the scenes stories coming out recently about how he's very hands-on, about he tries to be very controlling because he's a producer on these films. And uh, I'm just curious how that's going to go, how that's going to mesh with the world of Disney, I should say. That's what I'm curious to see. Uh, what are your What are your thoughts on this whole thing? Why not just make a sequel? Now I know that I know Great that point. Anim- I know that animation takes a very long time. Moana was a great movie. The animation in it was beautiful, right? The voice acting was actually very good, especially from The Rock, who's just The Rock at everything that he does. <laughs> you know, why not just put the time, resources, and effort into developing an excellent sequel to an already successful two-time Oscar-nominated picture? Are they getting the Cameron Water technology? Because I guarantee you they're not. And the animated water from the first one is going to look better than the whatever live action atrocity they pull out. Probably. I I just I think it's too soon. I mean, what's next? Are they going to announce a what's the one that just came out so that no one saw Stranger Worlds? Yep. <laughs> is that is that getting announced next week and it's going to come out next year? Like what? Where is the line? Is this something they're testing? But listen, to see I... like how quickly they can do it. I, I think there's an aspect of this that all this that we're not thinking of. Mm-hmm. Both Aladdin and The Lion King made over a billion dollars. The live action remakes. It doesn't necessarily make them good though. No, no. But from a business perspective, if you just had Strange World come out and fall kind of fall flat on its face and you need like a big kickstart for that Disney brand. The live action of the remake or the live action remakes of the animated films still in a lot of people's eyes count as that same type of Disney movie. And maybe they need oh they need a financial winner. You know, maybe they're like, eh, Moana, why not? And uh, I'm sure as soon as Black Adam came out, uh, The Rock was like, all right, let's find out what we should do next <laughs> and kind of just win in this route. But but yeah, hey, if they make money from a business perspective, I I kind of get it, you know. Yeah, but I mean, just put the time and resources, I think, where it's more valuable, you know. Now, I'm not saying the movie's not going to be good, but I feel like an animated Moana sequel would be better. Yeah, that's fair. And that's a wide-sweeping, I'm basing that off nothing, but Mm -hmm. I don't know, just why mess with a good thing? Yeah, we're just going to have to wait and see on this one. But what do you guys think of the Moana live-action remake coming? Let us know in the comments as we move on to our next story. Nicholas, what do you got for us next? Next story also comes to us from The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, Marvel Entertainment Chairman Ike Perlmutter is out at Disney. Perlmutter's Marvel Entertainment Division, not associated with Kevin Feige's Marvel Studios, will be folded into other parts of Disney, whatever that means. So 
the reason why this is significant is because Ike Perlmutter has been with the company for decades, I believe, with Marvel Entertainment, with Marvel. Mm -hmm. His name's on stuff as early as the uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. His name might even be on the X the early X-Men movies. I'm not sure about that though, but I know he was he was on the Spider-Man ones. I would assume so because I was reading the article a bit. He acquired mm-hmm. Marvel in 1998 from a toy yeah. company he owned. So I would assume anything post 98 would have his name on it. Yeah. And the reason why this is significant is because Ike Perlmutter has been famously known in the industry as just someone who's not a very good person. And who's someone who's not exactly smart either. Just the worst of combinations. He, uh, There were leaked emails of him saying that he was absolutely not in favor of greenlighting Black Panther. He was absolutely not in favor of greenlighting Captain Marvel for the reasons that you're thinking. And uh, he even on in those times tried to get Kevin Feige fired from his job. To the point it got so eclectic that to the point where Kevin Feige threatened to leave right before Civil War came out. Ironically, there was a Civil War going on behind the scenes as well. And that's when Bob Iger made the amazing decision to tell Kevin Feige, you report directly to me and Alan Horton now, you do not work for Ike Perlmutter, and they took Ike Perlmutter and they put him under Marvel TV, Marvel Entertainment and Marvel TV. I um, The article has a quote from Bob Iger in regards to that. It is. Oh, please. <clears throat> I promised Ike the job that he would continue to run Marvel after the Disney merger, uh, not forever necessarily. And in 2015, he was intent on firing Kevin Feige, who at the time was running Marvel Studios. And I thought that was a mistake. So I stepped in to prevent that. <laughs> there it is right there. It's yeah. it's it's crazy. Picture alternate history where that happened. That would have been miserable. Mm-hmm. But um, But yeah, so his firing is just kind of, it's almost like, the world universally going like finally (laughs) get rid of this guy and uh so he is out of a job but he's like he's a rich freaking millionaire i'm sure he's going to be fine unfortunately but this is a big deal because it's something that people have wanted for a really long time and now he's not going to have and he hasn't for the record he hasn't had any fingerprints on marvel movies for a while but now he's just going to be completely separated from Marvel, every, any and all things Marvel. And I think that is something to celebrate. What are your thoughts on this, Nicholas? Yeah, no, I mean, if he hasn't really had involvement, I mean, it just seemed like he was more of a figurehead than anything. I think once the Marvel series started, especially with the launch of Disney+, Plus, I feel like he really didn't have anything mm-hmm. going on. But I think he's like head of like mobile games, right? And But not comics. Comics are a different to yeah, together i don't think right? so but i know for a while he was working in marvel tv and uh when when i i got can you imagine how pissed he was when they got rid of marvel tv and put it under kevin feige but um <laughs> i wish i could have been in the room when kevin feige found out he was being laid off <laughs> but uh I, i'm chipping away at the marvel studios book like the first 10 years big yeah. book that they made and uh, in the book, they talk, they straight up name Ike Perlmutter and say, like, what a nightmare he is in the book. <laughs> and, the, and literally um, how they would say it in the, like, on set and places to, like, prevent, like, HR problems is because Ike Perlmutter worked in New York. And Marvel had two offices. They had the L.A. office and the New York office. And whenever Ike Perlmutter would have problems, um, someone would come in and say, hey, um, we have issues with the New York office. 
So whenever someone would talk about Ike Perlmutter being shitty, like on set or in person, they would say, hey, the New York office has notes for us. And they're talking about Ike Perlmutter. And that's just, it's so funny. <laughs> uh, you know, like we always say on the show, it's never a bad idea to add talent. Uh, it's never a bad idea to remove toxic people either. Amen, dude. Absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, what what do you guys think of Ike Perlmutter? finally no longer being a part of Marvel. Let us know in the comments as we move on to our next story. Nicholas, what do you got for us next? Our next story also comes to us from The Hollywood Reporter. A Fantastic Four movie is getting a new writer with Avatar 2 scribe Josh Friedman. Friedman. Uh, Matt Shackman, who is the key behind WandaVision, is still on board to helm the feature at this time. So, here's something to ponder. Mm-hmm. That writer, Josh mm-hmm. Friedman, Friedman, um, that article kind of goes on to say that he like worked on Avatar 2 and everything, but he actually clarified. The person actually tweeted out and said, hey, um, listen, I, I didn't write the screenplay for Avatar 2. I did, I, was, I did contribute to the story. I have a story credit on that, but I actually wrote Avatar 4, mm-hmm. which is not going to come out for a while, but that, that's the screenplay that I wrote. And then I was like, wait a minute. I remember hearing something about Avatar 4. And it's the James Cameron interview with Perry Nemroff, where he says, yeah, when I turned in the script for Avatar 2, yes, we love Perry. Uh, When I turned in the script for Avatar 2, I got two pages of notes. When I turned in the script for 3, I got one page of notes. And when I turned in the script for 4, I just got an email that said, holy fuck. So that tells me that the script for Avatar 4 is really good. And Mm -hmm. if he's writing Fantastic 4... Let's fucking go. I mean, I I know that he he did a big sh- uh, series of a show that he was a showrunner on. Foundation is that what it was? Uh, I, believe... I know he did Snowpiercer as well lately. Okay, so I know that he's been doing some shows and everything, which I just haven't seen or been familiar with. Yeah. But um, that piece of news got me excited. Just remembering that interview, and it's it's been. A wild ride getting Fantastic Four into the MCU, and they cannot fuck this up. They know they can't fuck mm-hmm. this up. There's so much pressure on that project in that universe, and I, I'm really looking forward to it. And um, what what are your thoughts on this guy joining the writing? Uh, so I have a few questions, more kind of behind mm-hmm. the scenes, right? So a story yes. by credit and a screenplay credit, right? Yes. When wanting to judge the works of someone. Mm-hmm. Do you want to lean toward their screenplay credits or their story credits? I would lean towards their screenplay credits. I mean, okay. story 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 credits are nothing to sneeze at. No, yeah, but, yeah, but but like it's... Avatar two, the screenplay was kind of yeah. basic, but the overarching mm-hmm. story was good. That he was involved, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I pulled up his IMDb and looking at it, right? So for story by credits, I saw a few fun ones: Avatar: The Way of Water. Uh, and uh, Terminator Dark Fate. Screenplay. Screenplay. War of the Worlds. Fuck everyone. I like that movie. <laughs> I like it a lot. And uh, the upcoming Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Ooh, the new one. The new one. Ooh. Uh, amongst other writers. But mm-hmm. yeah. So if you ask me, kind of a mixed bag. But the Avatar 2 thing is interesting. 
And I think Marvel knows that they can't fuck this up a third time. Yes. Yeah. And I think Matt Shackman was a great director. I'm interested to see him scale up to a feature, especially one of that mm-hmm. magnitude. Um, but never a bad idea to add talent, like we just said before. Never a bad idea to add talent, and uh, I'm not going to get into a Dark Fate argument on this episode of the show. I don't have the energy or the time. But uh, that we There's just nothing to argue. It's bad. Oh. You. <laughs> <laughs> I briefly, I don't think the movie's bad. I, okay. I, I think that, is it the Terminator movie that I would have made? No. But I think the movie that it was, wasn't horrible. I thought the action was exceptional. I thought it was better than every other Terminator sequel except Terminator 2. The only thing I didn't like was the execution of the new lead character they were building the franchise around mm-hmm. that revelation i thought the idea was solid but i thought the revelation and how it was done was poor that was the only thing that like i really didn't like about the movie yes people are pissed about the opening scene i thought it was brilliant i thought it was brilliant that they did what, that I what was the opening that. again spoilers for people who haven't seen a movie that came out like a couple years ago and wasn't uh, good <clears throat> They just straight up murder John Connor in the opening scene. That's right. That's right. I thought that was genius. I loved it. I loved See, the Terminator movie I would have made would have just ended after two. <laughs> the Terminator movie I would have made was just releasing the old Universal Terminator stage show as a movie because that shit was awesome. And I'm it was still a very mad good they show. Got rid of it. <laughs> but, For what? Uh... Jason Bourne? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and you know what? The Terminator TV show, The Sarah Connor Chronicles, mm-hmm. that was a good show. I, I never watched that it. I but yo, did he work on that show, Josh Friedman? Friedman? Uh, I can look that up. Look for show. For some reason, that's like digging in me that he might have worked on that show. Because, dude, that show was fucking good. I really enjoyed that show. Uh, Josh Friedman's uh, writer credits include Avatar, Snowpiercer, Foundation was the TV show, mm-hmm. Dark Fate, Emerald City, Crossbones, The Finder, The Asset, Lock and Key, Terminator, The Sarah Chronicle. Uh, yes. words. Terminator, I knew The it. Sarah Chronicle. I cannot speak. Oh my God. Terminator, The Sarah Connor Chronicles was developed for television by and written by him. That, listen. That show was good. I don't know if it's on any streaming service, but it was canceled way too early. I liked that show. That show was basically about Sarah and a younger John Connor um, on the run from other Terminators after Terminator 2. And it was really good. Like, it was a good show. It was network TV, but it was a good show. It has very high ratings. Yeah. It's saying it's on Shut up. Is that show on Hulu? Let me confirm. Hold on. I hope the guy show is on Hulu. Dude, if you get bored, check out that show. It was so good. I remember I watched the pilot when it aired. I was so excited. Oh, it has Lena Headey from uh, Game of Thrones. Yep. Right on. I dig it. Yes. So sorry about that tangent, guys. Is it connected to the movies, the other movies? 
Yeah, it acts as like a, you know, the Terminator trend is like, we're all going to make movies that act like a sequel to Terminator 2. Yeah. That's what it is. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, it's, it's, I loved it. I remember really liking the show. But uh, anyways, with that being said, what do you guys think about Josh Freeman writing Fantastic Four, which led to a (laughs) whole thing about the Sarah Connor Chronicles? Let us know in the comments as we move on to our next story. Nicholas, what do you got for us next? Our next story comes to us from Deadline, an exclusive. Ooh. Uh, Dr. Sleep filmmaker Mike Flanagan has pitched a feature version of Clayface over at DC Studios, sources tell Deadline. However, no word of a green light yet. But the studio has not said no. Warner Brothers. Please. Please, for the love of God, say yes to that movie. Now that movie says uh, Doctor Strange, but for some more, or Doctor Sleep, I'm sorry, but for more context, Mike Flanagan also wrote and created uh, Haunting of Hill House, Haunting of Bly Manor, as well as uh, Midnight Mass. And the movie Oculus, which fucking rules and no one ever watches it. I love that movie. Uh, He's on other films too, but look, look, he's a master horror filmmaker. I would say he's a master filmmaker and writer. Um, Haunting of Hill House, I think, is one of the best series ever. It's incredible. And um, same thing with Midnight Mass. Bly Manor was good. Um, Oculus was great. Doctor Sleep should not have been as good as it was, and it deserved to make more money. Listen, this guy making a Clayface movie would be so awesome. And he, from what I understand, he pitched it as like an Elseworlds movie, like like a Joker or a... Yeah, so that's where the story gets a little more interesting. The pitch is said not to have been a part of Matt Reeves' Batman universe. Mm -hmm. However, the Batman 2 scripts are constantly changing, and Mm -hmm. the rumblings now are that Clayface has become a huge addition to that story. That's that's interesting, putting Clayface in that world. And in the past, Matt Reeves had mentioned wanting to expand that universe with individual films so maybe there's a way where these two kind of i see i see. you know oh this is a, i want it as an elseworld thing well if you tweak mm-hmm. like this and this because mm-hmm. tonally i could see mike flanagan fitting into that absolutely like the oh. reeves verse yeah yeah and, and also like but at the same time you don't want to green light the movie if clayface is a big part of the batman 2 because then it's at the same time the audience is being like, whoa. Like, I understand the Joker's thing because it's been strung out over the course of a few years, but two yeah. Clayfaces at the same time, like, that would be madness. No, they either need to do a Clayface movie first that leads into Batman mm-hmm. or Batman, and then this Clayface movie's a few years out on top yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, I was doing a little digging, too, about the Clayface character that I found kind of interesting that I wanted to share. Just, mm-hmm. uh, to kind of see what we think a route Mike Flanagan might go and Matt Reeves might go and all that stuff. Um, I'm going to move my screen over here. Uh, So the original Clayface from the Golden Age, his name was Basil Carlo. He first appeared in Detective Comics number 40. Uh, He was a B-list actor who was driven insane when he hears that a remake of the classic horror film he starred in, Dread Castle, would be shot without him acting in the film, even though he would be on the advising staff. 
He then dons the costume of Clayface, a villain he once played in a different movie, and begins killing the actors playing characters he killed in the order and way they die in the film, along with someone who knew his identity. Lastly, he plans to murder the actor playing the Clayface killer and is foiled by Batman and Robin. So that one doesn't necessarily have the shape-shifting powers. That one is just a dude in a costume killing people. Yeah, and that's very different from, like you said, the shape-shifting powers of the more um, popular version of Clayface. Yes, which is the second version, Matt Hagen, who first appeared in Detective Comics 298. He was a treasure hunter who finds a radioactive pool of protoplasm in a cave. He falls into it and is transformed into a malleable clay-like form, which could be shaped into almost anything he desires. This is only a temporary effect, however, requiring him to return to the pool periodically to maintain his powers, and then Batman and Robin. But a lot of the games and media and even the Harley Quinn animated show have kind of merged the two, Mm -hmm. where uh, Basil Carlo, the original actor one, Mm -hmm. has the shape-shifting powers, which he never which I find interesting too. Yeah, and that original one, I could see that perfectly fitting in Matt Reeves's world. And we know he loves the OG shit because he named Riddler Edward Nashton. But my, my only thing with that is I feel like they just did the serial killer with Riddler. Yeah, true, true. But hey, there could be a seven trilogy where Batman just solves murders with <laughs> different people. I, I'd go see it. Fair, but, yeah. But um, all I'm going to say is this, and this may be unpopular to say, whether it's incredibly dark and serious and Matt Reeves, or it's maybe dark a and serious, tone, dark <laughs> and serious. I was going to say that I was like, wait, it'd probably be dark and serious with Mike Flanagan too. But basically what I'm saying is it doesn't matter the tone. Just have Alan Tudyk do it again. Just have him do it again. <laughs> he's one of the best actors working today. And he's so good in the animated show. And I don't want him to play anything like that. I want him to do Clayface live action, but be completely different and he can do it because he's that good i would love to see it i'm just saying i'd like to see like a uh like a d'onofrio that'd be good i'd be very interested in that i'd be very interested in like a john carlo esposito mm-hmm. could be I would very like to see fun. who's the guy that played werewolf by night oh get Ga- Ga- gael mm-hmm. was his name Amuse me for a moment. Uh-huh. Just going to do a quick Google of uh, Fancast Clayface. <laughs> I'm just curious what kind of the top. Mm-hmm. First one, Nick Cage. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Forget all the other answers. Dare I keep reading? Uh, <laughs> ooh, Andy Searle. He's uh, Alfred. Alfred. Toby McGuire. All right, some of these are pretty bad. <laughs> Ed Norton, Paul Giamatti. I could see Paul Giamatti. Oh, look, Alan Tudyk getting some love. Let's go. Honestly, I think I'd prefer a Clayface movie over him appearing in Batman. I'd be curious to see tonally how they try to fit that in if they're going to go with the original or try to go into this this fantastical shape-shifting into that universe but mm-hmm. I think that you know what it is and I hate to do this to just be like a fanboy of directors or something like that it'd be like oh well if this person's doing it, that's good I don't think I want a Clayface movie 
without Mike Flanagan. I agree with you. Like I don't I do. think I don't think we need a Clayface movie. Mm-hmm. But if Mike Flanagan's doing it, we do need a Mike Flanagan Clayface movie. Like that—that's my intrigue in it yeah. over anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I I totally see where you're coming from there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But uh, but what do you guys think? Do you think Warner Brothers should say yes and let Mike Flanagan make a Clayface movie, or do you think he's going to be in the Batman too? Or hey, why not both? Let us know in the comments as we move on to the B-roll section of our show. What's the B-roll? Well, it's kind of an extension of the movie news section of our show, except we don't have time to dive into them as main topics, but we still want to bring you the headlines and keep you informed as to what's going on. Nicholas, what's first up on the B-roll? First one comes to us from The Hollywood Reporter. Legendary is ready to unleash a sonic boom with the studio acquiring the film and TV rights to the classic beat-em-up game Street Fighter. The studio will work closely with video game company Capcom on future projects. Neat. Uh, I think that they should do TV shows because that's what I think Mortal Kombat should have done. And uh, they just made a deal with Sony because they're leaving Warner Brothers. So Sony's got some new IP. Cowards won't bring in Jean-Claude Van Damme, though. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Won't. (laughs) It's like how Dungeons & Dragons wouldn't bring back Jeremy Irons. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. shame um our next b-roll story our last b-roll story short short news week uh evil dead rise filmmaker lee cronin is tackling the horror thriller thaw for new line now listen to this plot dalton set years after the polar ice caps have melted and sea levels have risen the story of thaw centers on a group of survivors at sea searching for a new home their prayers are answered when the with the discovery of an uninhabitable town that is, until they encounter a new nightmare living just below the water's surface. Napoleon is master of Europe. The British fleet stands before him. Oceans are now battlefields. Arctic Jaws? Is that what I heard? <laughs> That's pretty much it. It's going to be a polar bear. <laughs> <laughs> no, but listen. First of all, plot sounds amazing. Secondly, Lee Cronin... This just tells me Evil Dead Rise is fucking awesome if this guy's already getting work like this. So I'm all about it. Bring it to me. Bring me the Lee Cronin films. Absolutely. And so that'll do it on the B-roll. Now we're going to move on to the box office section of our show. Uh, Nicholas, do you happen to have our predictions? Yes, looking for them now. Here we go. All right, Dalton, you had Dungeons and Dragons. John Wick 4, Shazam 2, Scream 6, and Creed 3. I had Dungeons and Dragons, John Wick 4, Shazam 2, Creed 3, then Scream 6. We were both incorrect. Ooh, lay it on me. So coming in first, making $37.2 million. By the way, these are the final Monday numbers. Okay. Making $37.2 million was Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Coming in second, dropping 62% from week one to week two, was John Wick Chapter 4, making another $28.2 million. Coming in third was a faith-based film called His Only Son, coming in out of nowhere, making $5.5 million. Coming in fourth was Scream 6, making another $5.3 million. And coming in fifth, Creed 3, making $5 million. Shazam 2, already out of the top five. Ooh. 
Yeah, so let's break down some of these box office things real quick. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons has already made a 70 million worldwide on a budget of, budget of 150, so it has some climbing to do, but with good word of mouth, it could stay up there. We just have to wait and see. But it may end up just hitting the break-even point, potentially. We'll have to see. Um, John Wick Chapter 4 has made $244 million worldwide. It's going to crack that 250 soon. And it's at 2.4 times as budget, so it's already cracked right about that break-even point. It should be, be, it should be profitable by next weekend. Uh, his Only Son worldwide has made $5.5 and it was made i don't see the budget of that film but most face most faith-based films aren't that crazy high budget so it's probably doing really well uh let's see scream six has made worldwide 147 million dollars it'll cross 150 soon and it has made 4.2 times its budget back yay scream six just announced scream seven already god damn it and did Creed, they not no at least not a not official. Screen Geek has said that it's beneficial that it's going to film later this year, but none of the other trades have confirmed that. So gotcha. I'm going to hold off on it for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Creed Three has surpassed two hundred and fifty million dollars worldwide. It has now made three point five times its production budget. Ayo, Creed Three is making shmoney. Money in- and just to move into bad news here. Uh, Shazam Fury of the Gods has made just 120 million worldwide on a budget of 125. It might barely surpass its production budget, but uh, that's probably one of the biggest flops in DC history, which is a shame. I I don't think it deserved that. How do you think um, Blue Beetle will do coming off the tails of that? I'll be honest, because that new trailer came out. I think it's going to do very well. Depends on how they market it. Partially because it looks good. It will depend on the marketing. And partially because the Latin American audience makes up, I think last year or the past few years, it's made up 30% of the box office. And now there's a main hero that represents that community. I think it's going to do a lot better than people are thinking. I think it's going to do very well. I think also uh, there's just people taking stuff from Twitter, which I found very funny because James Gunn Mm -hmm. as head of DC tweeted about the trailer and he said you know here's the trailer for blue beetle this charming fun family movie check it out now and they went back a bit and found new trailer for hashtag shazam fury of the gods (laughs) (laughs) oh man james and obviously he's had nothing but praise for the flash and blue beetle as well and shazam and aquaman are there so we'll see what happens with that but i found that very entertaining yeah no that's that is funny uh so i don't want to do official predictions for next week since we're not going to be here for a month but Mm -hmm. i do think that um mario is going to be number one (laughs) it's not even going to be close absolutely but does air pick up i think air opens in the top five okay i wouldn't i would not be surprised if air opens third you think D D is going to solidify at number two? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I would I'm not predicting be... a small drop for that one, I bet. I think it's yeah, going to get am, some good word of mouth. I am too, because I think as people go to Mario and it's sold out, they're going to go, well, what other family movies do you have? And it's going to be Dungeons & Dragons. Mm-hmm. That's, that's so you think Air takes out John Wick, at least for 
that spot. Yeah, I think John Wick will be four. I could see Air going three. I said we're not going to do predictions, and here I am predicting. And I think uh, Scream 6 will be five. Okay. Solid. I'm yeah. excited for Mario. I am too. I am too. I'm really excited. Fucking, they already dropped tickets for Guardians 3, and that shit is selling like crazy, and we don't have any fucking A-list reservations open. I'm going to have to do it as soon as we get out of Mario, and then I'll use my movie pass for Air. It's whatever. There you go. Mm-hmm. But then we got Renfield. Movies are back, week. baby. They are, dude. They and really Evil Dead are. the week after, right? Or two weeks after? Dude. Right? Renfield's first? Mm-hmm. Nicholas? There are no words to describe how excited I am for Evil Dead Rise. <laughs> I am so fucking amped. You have no Looks idea. Very good. Looks very good. Uh, and we've been like ever since they moved it to theaters. Oh, I've been. I was so happy they didn't just cancel it because that that was that was actually a worry for a mm-hmm. while. Was they were going to cancel? They were thinking about canceling the movie. That's crazy. But well, anyway. Blue Beetle got that same promotion too. Yeah, Batgirl got canceled. Blue Beetle was the first one to get promoted. Yeah, which this is ugh, what a time to be alive. And uh, with that, we're going to move on to the movie review section of our show. Um, what movie did we see last week? We saw Dungeons and Dragons. It's been a crazy weekend, guys. Make it commas this weekend. It was nuts. But uh, yes, yes, show it off, Nicholas. I spent too much money on this popcorn bucket. <laughs> How the hell is it? Aha! Amazing. Worth it. Uh, d- I rolled anyway. a four. I'm sorry. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. So, this review is going to be a bit of an interesting perspective because it's coming from me, who has never played D&D in their life because I know it will suck the life out of me and I'll never go back to normalcy. And <laughs> Nicholas, who plays every week. So on that level, I don't mean to speak for you, we both really liked the film. Yep. Um, I thought that the, the humor really worked for me. I thought that it was charming. I thought the performances were solid. I thought the action scenes were good. Um, there are some script elements that I think could have been done better, but that is the biggest complaint I really have. I thought it was paced well. I thought that the way it wrapped everything up was great. And not to spoil anything, when the movie needed to be emotional, in the beginning of the movie, it was kind of just bland. Not not bland, but like the emotion was just very on the nose. There is a character moment at the end of this film that is expected. But how they do it, and it involves a little dragonfly type thing, how they do it was really touching, especially with Chris Pine's performance in that moment. Yeah, It was really touching. And so like it really had that strong emotional beat at the end of the film, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And that's from someone who's never played ever. Mm-hmm. And from your perspective, I'm sure that there's stuff in the movie for the fans. Yeah, you know, there's like little things like just the way the characters go about and the character types are nothing new, you know, that could be transferred to any type thing. Like Chris Pine's obviously playing a bard, the loot, you know, that kind of stuff is in it. Uh, Michelle Rodriguez, who I think is the best one in the movie is a barbarian, but that's just really any type of brute, strong fighter type character, you know, the wizard, the magic, the powers, all that 
you know, and obviously like the names and stuff that comes from like the D and D, like Neverwinter, Baldur's Gate, um, uh, uh, the Aracocra Kokra in the beginning, the bird creature, um, you know, all those are derived from it. But even if you don't have that sort of context to it, this is just a adventure fantasy movie, which also works because you're like, yeah, bird creature, yeah, why wouldn't there be? And I think that's the stuff that sort of brings it. And it's a it's a it's a difficult balance to strike because you're trying to play appease people who play it every day, every week, you know, that has been a part of their lives since their childhood, and also trying to approach a general audience with it. And I think they got a good mixture of names, celebrities, you know. Uh the writers and directors are fantastic. I absolutely love Game Night. I think it's one of the best comedy movies in the past ten years. Facts. Um, and what's interesting about this one is I can't remember the last time we got like a really, really good fantasy movie. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the last time we got a really, really good adventure movie. I can't remember the last time we got a really good comedy movie. <laughs> and this one managed to be a really good adventure fantasy comedy movie. Yeah, you know, I, I fully agree. I do think that um, if the humor doesn't work for you, the movie will hinder a lot. Because I actually talked to some people today, who mm-hmm. one person who thought the movie was just okay, and one person who who didn't like the movie at all, and it both relied on how they felt about the comedy of the movie, and it worked for me mm-hmm. on yeah. most levels. I mean, there's always going to be a joke or two that doesn't work, but for me, it it worked emphatically, and I kind of liken this as like this generation's mummy. I think that. There's going to be a kid who saw Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves and just like the mummy, it just takes them by storm with how fun and silly and delightful it is and it becomes their favorite movie and then in 40 years when Chris Pine's at a convention that kid is going to run up to him with delight in his eyes and being like you were in Dungeons and Dragons which was like my favorite movie growing up. Like I could really see that happening with this generation. To clarify, we're referring to the Brendan Fraser mummy. Not the Tom Cruise Not the Tom Cruise one. Uh, no, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. I think that, you know, it's something that's it's going to intrigue someone to go out and play D&D. It's going to incentivize them to want to go find a group, make these sort of bonds, these friendships that I think is very important and interesting. And you could just tell they were having fun. And yes. I think that's a big thing. You know, take script, take story issues, whatever you want, which I thought were all solid. At the end of the day, it's just a fun time at the theater, and that's never a bad thing you could tell the cast and crew had fun making it you could tell the directors had a ton of fun directing it with their references uh, i think they made great use of like practical costuming and effects cgi when they needed to the cgi i thought was pretty all solid yeah um for me something i picked up on which i thought was fun was just how gluttonous they were with all their camera film things <laughs> There was a one shot. There was an overhead tracking shot. There mm-hmm. was a snap zoom. There was a snap zoom out. There was a split dolly diopter zooms. shot. There were dolly yeah. zooms. They put a split diopter <laughs> shot in a D and D movie. I can't get over that. I don't know yes, why that. Did. I don't know why I found that so entertaining. Yes, they did, and there were a lot of practical effects as well. Yes, yes. A lot of the characters, uh, the costuming was was very. It has. One of the best cameos in recent memory that I could think of. Dude, completely did not know about it either. Like, it didn't leak at all. Like, no, and, and here's the thing about that, watching it. I feel like I knew the setup 
of what was going to be on the other side of that door just because of the gag that it would be. But when it's opened up and it's that person, I was like, wait, pause. (laughs) So I feel like they really knew that with a joke like that, people may have been anticipating that would be the joke they were going for. They're like, yeah, but we're going to one-up it and like, here's this person. No Joe Manganiello, though, which kind of made me sad. It made me a little bit sad, too, but I'm sure he has watched the movie and hopefully loves it. I agree. Um, overall, I recommend, though. I mean, very overall entertaining. Very I, I, I'll say I really hope they do another one. I do, too. I now, would really you want it to so. follow this crew? I would, personally. But if they announced that they're just doing it with a random other crew, that wouldn't upset me. But mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed the characters. And like when I say the performances were good, I normally am not the biggest fan of Justice Smith as an actor. I thought he crushed it in this movie. I thought mm-hmm. he was excellent. Um, the Bridgerton guy, Renee something. Um, I have Rene not John watched... Page. Yes. I've never watched Bridgerton, mm-hmm. but I watched him in The Gray Man, and I watched him in another thing that I saw recently that is leaving me. But I wasn't really big on him. I thought he was great in this movie. Like I thought everyone was great. And it's the chemistry too with all of them. Like you really felt that camaraderie. There was more chemistry with Michelle Rodriguez and Chris Pine in two hours than it was with her and Vin Diesel in nine Fast and Furious movies. Straight facts. Absolutely. (laughs) And the action scenes with her were fantastic. They were. They really were. Yeah, she she was very good. I I would also be interested, I mean, obviously seeing this crew again, because I thought they were also cool. It'd be cool to follow them as they kind of power up, like, you know, Justice Smith's arc with his wizardry. Mm-hmm. It'd be cool to watch that progress, because that's kind of like how a campaign would work. You're starting off yeah. at, like, level one and building that up. But there's so many good um, D&D stories, like campaigns that you could play. I'd be almost interested in watching adaptations of that. You know, like there's mm-hmm. one uh, called The Curse of Strahd, which is like vampire focused, which is really cool. So it'd be cool just to see like an adaptation of that, not necessarily putting these characters in it, but maybe that's some way you can expand yeah. the universe. And you could even mix, like you could say that it's all part of the same planet. And that's like, we need to travel to this place with those same characters and put them in like this new, it's a different part of that world. I think yeah, I mean, it's just a massive it. world. It's just like going from here to new york yeah. you know it's like mm-hmm. just move into this area write a story that they're there or whatever yeah. yeah yeah but yeah thoroughly recommend i really enjoyed the movie movie Absolutely. a lot i thought it was great yes. Very and with good. that um i think that's the the end of the show um we're gonna miss you guys and the little hiatus that we're gone but don't worry we'll be back before you know it and we'll be with actual nice equipment in the regular studio that you're used to seeing <laughs> so uh that'll be fun um hang in there tight guys thank you so much for watching and we'll see you when we come back